Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's open to page, not page, open to Psalm number 130. Psalm 130. I just wanted to keep on singing, I guess. Psalm 130. We're making our way through. After this time, we only have just a few more. Well, a little more than a few, but it feels like a few compared to when we started. Psalm 130. Another song of degrees or song of ascent, depending on how uh, your uh, version or Bible uh, labels it, meaning the same thing. Uh, Psalm 130, verse number 1 says, Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say more than they which watch for the morning. Yet it let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all of his iniquities. All right, well, Psalm 130, I think every Christian is, that is honest uh, will have to admit that they understand the emotions of this psalm uh, as they go through it. And this is a continuation again of the Psalms of Degrees or the Psalms of Ascent. And psalms that were sung by the pilgrims as they journeyed up to the temple for the feasts. As we read the verses of the psalms, it's very identifiable, at least to me it is. Uh, we strive to be yielded to the Holy Spirit in our minds and in our hearts and in our emotions and in our reactions. Uh, but the flesh is strong in pulling us to sin and weak in defending against temptation. Uh, Jesus said, Matthew 26, 41, Watch ye and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And the disciples had repeatedly failed at staying awake and uh, praying with Jesus. And uh, he told them their flesh was weak at trying to battle temptation and do, falling into what the flesh wanted. Uh, anyone who has strived to increase their walk with God uh, has struggled to stay awake or at least keep their mind focused while praying. Uh, I've talked to a couple of people, it seems like recently, I know one very recently, uh, about prayer and how important prayer is and how much of a struggle it is sometimes to be praying and then all of a sudden realize that you've been thinking about something else for the last t two minutes, you know, and get your mind back to focus. And, you know, the just man falleth seven times, yet riseth up again. You know, it, you know, yes, you may wander, but don't let the devil uh, discourage you by that. Just get back on track and talk to the Lord. Sorry, Lord, I had a little side trick there for a minute. Uh, you know, but I'm back here and start talking again. Start praying. And uh, as you increase your practice and as you work on your character to stay focused, then it might get better. But uh, I don't know if there's much hope for me. I'm so... Uh, ADD, I don't, I, I just kind of a natural thing. I think God understands my, <laughs> my situation here, but uh, I just continue and just keep praying whatever it is that I'm thinking, I guess. I don't know. But anyone who walks for, with the Lord for any amount of time knows what it is to fail uh, and to sin once again. And, you know, so many times we pray, Lord, I did it again. You know, Lord, I, I pray that you'd help me, give me strength. And, you know, this psalm begins with a petition. A beseeching to the Lord to hear his prayer. And so we see, first of all, in verses 1 and 2, the request to hear. 
Verse 1 and 2 says, Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. It seems that the psalmist had spent some time swimming in the sea of guilt. Uh, you know, he, he cries out to the Lord for help, and uh, which, by the way, it's the right place to run. Amen? Uh, and God answers his cry by giving him an understanding of his grace and forgiveness. As we go through the psalm, we'll see the rest and see that. And the devil likes to send us into a spiral of guilt. And conviction and guilt are two different things, I believe, with all my heart. I don't know that I have a, uh, can think of a Bible reference to prove that, uh, but it sure feels different to me. Uh, you know, conviction leads to repentance. Uh, guilt leads to despair and hopelessness. And there's a big difference. Uh, the devil leads us to guilt, and the Holy Spirit leads us to conviction. And whichever one the psalmist was experiencing, he ended up going to the right place, and so should we. Whether it's guilt we're dealing with or whether it's, uh, whether it's conviction we're dealing with, we need to take it to the Lord. Amen? And the depths that he cried from here, when he talked about, out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. The depths he's calling for, it's talking about the deep waters of the sea. The word depths there is talking about the deep waters. It's a pictorial view of the depths of his sorrow that he was dealing with, or the depths of his guilt, or whatever that it was that he was dealing with. It's a picture of being far away from God. He was feeling alienated from God because of sin, it would seem, at least. And he begged God to hear his voice. The psalmist no doubt knew the truth of Psalm 66, 8, where, 18, where it says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And, uh, you know, so he understands the importance of him getting to God. He realizes that if he regards iniquity in his heart, if he continues to focus on that and continues to give into that, the Lord will not hear. But whenever he cries unto the Lord in repentance and turns back to God and begs God to hear him, uh, as we'll see, the Lord does hear. Uh, but the psalmist asked to be heard here that God's ears would be attentive. It's a Hebrew word involving responding to what you hear, not just it going into the ear hole, but actually responding to it. it involves a response, an expectation of response. And he wanted God to respond to his voice of supplication, uh, a word meaning to ask a favor or a prayer of petition. Asking for something to be done. And this is where we need to be also. When guilt or conviction, for that matter, overwhelms us, turn to God and beg him to hear you as you repent and seek his forgiveness. And praise the Lord, he does hear us when we come to him. Amen. Ephesians 2, 4 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. Amen. He is rich in mercy. He wants to love us, and he does love us. He wants to have mercy for us, give us mercy. And any time we are repentant, he is right there with mercy. Hebrews 4.16 tells, uh, tells us to come boldly. Because we have access to the throne, let us go boldly uh, unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace and to help in time of need. And the psalmist made his request for God to hear him here. Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ear be attentive to the voice of my supplication. Then verse 3 and 4, we see the realization of hopelessness. Verse 3 and 4, he says, If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be found feared. The psalmist realized that he had no hope without God. If God kept a record of our iniquities, 
Who could possibly stand a chance is what, is he, is what he is saying. And the record of our lives prove that we're sinners. We are all guilty. And we all fall short of the glory of God. Our only hope is forgiveness and mercy. And by the way, God does keep a record of sins. Now, the unsaved will be judged out of the books in which God has been kept keeping record. Revelation 20, verse 11 and, 20, 11 and 12 says, I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. <clears throat> there was found no place for them. Verse 12 says, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. God keeps track of what happens in this life. But praise the Lord, when a person is saved, all of our sins are placed on Jesus' account. Amen? And the righteousness of Jesus is placed upon our account. And the blood of Jesus covers those sins. He removes those sins from us as far as the east is from the west. And Psalm 103 verse 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Seems like we just talked about that verse, and that was, what, 27 chapters ago. I don't know. Uh, maybe there was a, a, a repeat in another psalm. I don't know. But uh, as far as the east is from the west, uh, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. And God will remember them no more, he says. Hebrews 10, 17, it says, And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Boy, what a great promise. Amen. I, boy, I wish that were true. I, I could say that. <laughs> I will remember them no more. But the truth is, it doesn't say that <clears throat> he doesn't remember them, does it? It says, I, it doesn't say their sins and equities, do I not remember anymore? He says, I will not remember them anymore. If it says that he doesn't remember, that would mean that he forgot them. Uh, he says he will not remember them. In other words, he will not recall them. He will not use them against us. He will not call them up from his memory and use them against us. You ever heard of a husband and wife that fights and he complains that she brings up things that happened 20 years ago to use in the fight and how that's unfair, you know? <laughs> how can I defend against that and such? Well, God doesn't do that, amen? Uh, his iniquities are remember no more. <clears throat> He'll not use them against us. And he knows all things. He can't forget anything. He wouldn't be all-knowing if he could forget something. But he promises, he chooses, that, uh, and a God that does not lie and cannot lie promises that he will not remember them. He will not use them against us. Verse 4 shows that the psalmist began to receive a response from God. He says, There is a forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. And the word feared means to respect, to, re to reverence, to be in awe. And yes, it, it does involve fear and trembling. The word literally means to tremble. Uh, but it, is, uh, it involves the idea of that reaction because of the respect and awe that is involved. And when confronted with the holiness of God, even through his forgiveness, the psalmist sees the need to fear God. And God confirms with the psalmist through the Holy Spirit that he is indeed forgiven. And so are you. If you have repented and accepted Christ as your Savior, you are forgiven. Amen? In Ephesians 1, 7, In whom we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. We have forgiveness because of his grace. Amen? Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, 
we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have the same type of relationship. We talked about that, what was it, Sunday morning that we talked about that? I'm, I'm getting confused now which, which sermon I preached it in. But we have a different relationship with him now. Uh, it's not just the judge declaring uh, guilty or unguilty, uh, guilty or not guilty, it's, uh, it's, or forgiven even. But he's now made us his child and has adopted us, and we call him Abba, Father. And uh, we have this peace through God. Uh, with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. There was a song that I saw uh, not too long ago, and I wrote down the words to the song, and now I'm not sure if I can remember the tune. Uh, I know the song, but I always, get, always lose the tune whenever I look at it. Well, anyways, the... the, the uh, the words go, when Satan comes to tempt me and tries to make me doubt, I say my sins are gone. You got me into trouble, but Jesus got me out. I'm glad my sins are gone. The chorus goes, they're underneath the blood on the cross of Calvary. As far removed as darkness is from dawn. In the sea of God's forgetfulness, that's good enough for me. Praise God, my sins are gone. Y'all ever heard that song before? Oh, it's the first time for a lot of you. Okay. Well, uh, boy, praise the Lord. My sins are gone. Amen. And uh, there's another song that we used to sing, G-O-N-E, gone. I have not even going to try to sing that because I don't know it well enough to do it. But, uh, boy, it's important enough that we just spell it out. Amen. But uh, God forgave us. Uh, without him, we are hopeless. Uh, but with him, we have all hope. Isaiah 38, 17 says, Behold, for peace I had great bitterness. Uh, but thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption. For thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. What a great verse, amen. I read that the, uh, last week, I think it was, and ran across that verse, and I stuck it in here uh, so I wouldn't lose it. Uh, but boy, that's a good verse. I'm sure I must have read it before, but it, boy, it just sunk into my soul this time when I read it. You ever done that? You'd be reading the Bible and all of a sudden just it's like a light from heaven shines on a verse. <laughs> it doesn't, but you know, it's it's you know, it just jumps off the page at you. Boy, that, that verse just jumped off the page at me. Boy, it's so good. Uh, behold, for peace, for peace I had great bitterness. I wanted peace, but I had great bitterness. But thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption, for thou hast cast all my sins behind my thy back. You ever shown a Bible verse to someone that means a lot to you? Say, man, this is good. Look at this. So they look at it and they go, oh, yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> it's like, what do you mean pretty good? Well, anyways, uh, boy, that, that verse is good. Uh, the psalmist made his request to God to hear him. He had a realization of his own hopelessness. And he didn't stay in that despair. Instead, he began relying on him, number three, relying on him. Verses five and six, it says, I wait for the Lord. My soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waiteth for the Lord. More than they which, that watch for the morning. I say more than they that watch for the morning. And to wait on the Lord means to look for, or to hope for. And the root of the word comes from the twisting or winding of a strand or a cord or rope. And most commentators say uh, we don't understand what that has anything to do with waiting. But uh, I, the closest I can come is the idea that maybe you're putting your trust and your hope on that cord that's more secure or something. I don't know what it is. But uh, whatever it is, either way, he waited on him. He hoped in the Lord. Interesting enough, the word for hope 
is a different word than the word for wait. But the word is also translated in places as hope (laughs) in other places. And the word hope is also translated as to wait or to tarry. And so they're different words, but they're synonyms and closely related at least. And when we wait on the Lord, we're putting our hope in his power, in his knowledge, in his presence, uh, in his ability to take care of the situation that we're in. We're putting all of our care in him. We wait on the Lord and we hope in his word because he's worthy of that trust. He says, my soul waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. Have you ever had a nightmare or perhaps found yourself in a, maybe a dangerous situation in the night? And you just think, if I could just make it till daylight, everything will be all right. <laughs> you ever experienced that? I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one. I don't know. Okay, good. Somebody's nodding. Praise the Lord. (laughs) The intense waiting of the soul for that first beams of light that come over the horizon. It's a strong and powerful emotional time, isn't it? That hope, that waiting, and just waiting for that time to come. The psalmist says he's waiting. His waiting is more than those that wait for the morning. Uh, W.A. Criswell found himself on a flight on a, one occasion seated beside a well-known theologian, uh, theologian, that's a good way to say it, a theologian. And the man began to tell the pastor how recently he had lost his little boy. He had come home from school one day with a fever, and the parents thought that it was just one of those childhood colds that he was struggling with, but it ended up being a, a, a form of meningitis. And the doctor said, we can't save your little boy, he's going, he's going to die. And so the seminary professor, loving his son as he did, he sat by the bedside uh, to watch the death vigil. It was the middle of the day, and the little boy whose strength was fading and draining from him, whose vision and brain was getting clouded, said, Daddy, it's getting dark, isn't it? And so the professor said to his son, Yes, son, it's getting dark, very dark. He said, Daddy, I guess it's time for me to go to sleep, isn't it? He said, Yes, son, it's time for you to go to sleep. The little boy fixed his pillow and said, Good night, Daddy. I'll see you in the morning. Then he closed his eyes and fell asleep and ended up passing away. Dr. Criswell said the professor didn't say any more after that. He just looked out the window of the plane for a long time. And then he turned back and he looked at Criswell and with scalding tears flowing down his cheeks, he said, Dr. Criswell, I can hardly wait until the morning. (laughs) You found yourself in those situations. You know, God knows where we're at, amen? We just have to keep relying on him. Remember that the Lord is there. His word is true, and he will come through. Just rely on him. In these last two verses, he speaks of his redemption and hope. Verse 7, he says, Let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. The psalmist concludes his song with a declaration for all Israel to hear. Let Israel hope in the Lord, Yahweh. Let Israel hope in the Lord. Uh, He wanted his countrymen to continue to trust in Jehovah. I heard someone say this week, uh, there was a moment when Moses had the nerve to ask God what his name is. (laughs) And God was gracious enough to answer. The name he gave is recorded in the original Hebrew as Y-H-W-H, Yahweh. Over time, men have added the vowels to that, the A and the E, to get the pronunciation that that is true uh, as they began to add uh, markings for the vowels. 
and uh, trying their best to uh, record what the true pronunciation is. And later, scholars and rabbis have noted that the letters YHWH represent breathing sounds or aspirated consonants. And when pronounced without the intervening vowels, it actually kind of sounds like breathing. And like an inhale and an exhale. And this is not doctrine to preach or some new truth that needs to be held to very deeply. Or, but breath is very important throughout the Bible. And whether it is uh, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord or God breathing life into man or Jesus giving the Holy Spirit by breathing on his disciples, breath is important. And so a baby's first cry, his first breath can remind us of the name of God. A deep sigh can remind us of a call on his name or a groan or a gasp that is too heavy to mere, for mere words can remind us that he's there. Even an atheist's words can remind us of God's name, unaware that their very breath is giving constant acknowledgement to God. Likewise, a person leaves this earth with their last breath when God's name is no longer filling their lungs. So when I can't utter anything else, is my cry a constant reminder to call out his name? If we think of it, it is. And so is his name heard the loudest when I'm the quietest. We can say his name. In the sadness, we breathe heavy sighs and joy or our lungs feel almost like they will burst. In fear, we hold our breath and have to be told to breathe slowly to help us stay calm. And we're, when we're about to do something hard, we take a deep breath to find our courage. When, we think, when I think about it, breathing can be a constant reflection of the very name of God, even in the hardest moments. Amen? Again, not a hill that we're going to die upon, talking about that that's what it is but rather just something that perhaps can point to God even in our more difficult moments. The thought can come to our mind that he's there. Yahweh, Jehovah, our Lord. Israel and his church needs to hope in the Lord. Why? Because with the Lord there is mercy. Amen. And with him is plenteous redemption. Plenty, that means that there's more than enough. He shall redeem Israel from all of his iniquities. Our redemption and our hope is Jesus. When we fail him, if we will just confess, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. When we fail, go to God. Request for him to hear you. Realize your own hopelessness. Rely fully upon him and realize your redemption and your hope is in him. The song was written, my hope is in the Lord who gave his life himself for me and paid the price of all my sins at Calvary. Boy, what a great hymn that is. The tune just kind of, the way the march goes, it just kind of makes you feel the words, doesn't it? And it's a great hymn written by a dairy farmer, by the way, Miss Sherry and Miss Marilyn. Uh, but he was also quite, had a, quite a varied career, so he wasn't only a dairy farmer. Sometimes he was a construction worker, sometimes an office worker in New York City, and a baker at some point, but finally a full-time hymn writer. And he wrote many hymns. And very little is known about the history of the song, but the song is filled with biblical truth. The writer also wrote, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. 
On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. It's obvious that the author of the hymn trusted in the Lord and wanted to give us a song to remind us to do the same. The author of Psalm 130 was that song, uh, was the writer of that kind of song for the Israelites. He wanted them to constantly keep their hope in the Lord and trust in him. And let's remember all these songs as we go through this life, amen, and just continue to trust in him. Well, let's take some prayer requests tonight. We'll shut off the live stream and...